0: Hang on. Good evening once again, or maybe it's good morning, maybe it's good late, late late night, just depending on where in the world you're listening to us from. I'd like to thank you once again for joining in the fun here on Live from Roswell. I'm your host, Guy Malone. We are broadcasting to you worldwide live from Sunny Roswell New Mexico on this Sunday evening, November 25th, 2007, live from Roswell is sponsored in part by Alien Resistance HQ, which offers biblical perspectives on UFOs and abductions, as well as some really hot DVDs from past conferences held here in Sunny Roswell New Mexico. Online you can see alienresistance.org and now roswellufoconference.com as well as ancientofdays.net for all the DVDs we offer. Older ones are still listed on a name-your-own-price-donations basis, too. For information on how you, too, can become a sponsor on this program, you can have your commercials read aloud to 30 or 40,000-plus listeners every Sunday evening, or maybe even just have your banner on our website. Please visit www.livefromroswell.com and click on this space for rent sponsor info. And joining us momentarily here tonight, we have Rob Simone who is the author of UFOs in the Headlines, Real Reporting on a Real Phenomena. But first, I need to go back in time, two weeks, and eat my words. Because you might remember two weeks ago, we had a listener email night, and in response to one listener's question, I mentioned that I didn't personally think anything was ever going to happen with that alien theme park idea that someone was trying to get off the ground here in Roswell. Well... No sooner than I'd said that on Sunday night, the very next day, on Monday, the Roswell Daily Record ran a front-page cover story with the words, It's official, opening up the article. So, number A, I'd just like to say, I was wrong. But B, I have that article linked for any one of you who might be interested, uh, from near the very top of www.livefromroswell.com. It's in yellow text. And you can click through to the Roswell Daily Record article and read the whole scoop that they've got published so far on what's going on with the alien theme park that's going to be built here. But, C, don't book your travel plans yet because it looks like its planned opening date isn't until the year 2012. A very interesting opening year. Not sure if I'd invest millions of my dollars into anything set to open in 2012. But anyway, that is the story of what's going on. Also, I might try to get a hold of Brian Temmer. He is the brains behind that theme park to come on this program in just a couple of weeks to give us a sneak peek at what he's got planned. He and I had discussed once earlier if it got more official or past the planning stages that I would love to have him on and tell us what's going on. So let me email him or call him. I may have him on in two weeks. But other than that, I certainly hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving weekend, maybe saw some family or had some good times. I got to spend the early part of the day over at a friend's house, eating the real Thanksgiving meal. My family is way, 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 way from Roswell, so I didn't make the trip this year. But then that evening, I spent at Not of This World Coffee House where a really fun group of young guys was playing music for us. Uh, they were traveling on their way to Los Angeles. During commercial breaks tonight, you'll be hearing music from Seth and Willie Fred, plus Elmer. As usually I happen to see, you live in Roswell. It does become my MySpace of the Week for that weekend. We'll hear more about them later, but right now, let's say happy belated Thanksgiving and hello to the author of UFOs in the headlines, Mr. Rob Simone. Hey, Guy, how you doing? Very well. How
1: are you out there, buddy? Great, great. I'm uh, here in Los Angeles, and uh, it's a great night for it, and uh, thanks for having me on your show.
0: Oh, i so love to. I've been wanting to for quite a while. It was good seeing you this summertime when you were here in Roswell. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: That was a great festival.
0: We were both busy, didn't get to spend too much personal time together, but... It was, it was an
1: incredible event. Roswell was just humming with activity.
0: Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was really, I was proud to be part of the the planning on that one. Yeah. Uh, you, you were here in 2004 when I had that conference up at the uh, Sallyport, and you can see how, how far out of the mainstream of what was uh, promoted as the Roswell Festival three years ago that uh, I was and part of the conference was, and then this year I managed to get right smack dab in the middle of it. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, we've come a long way here. <laughs> hey, did you do anything special on your Thanksgiving, by the way? I, I
1: spent it with a bunch of drunken Englishmen.
0: That sounds like a fun
1: story. Good yeah, yeah we did. Uh, at last minute, I just dashed over to my friend's house uh, down the road. And uh, she's English, and she had her friends and family there. And uh, you can imagine the kind of things we got up to. We argued about which soccer
0: team was the best. Uh, and had a jowl old uh, time doing it. Do you have a favorite soccer team, being an American and all? Well, I lived in London for a while, so I'm, right.
1: a, I'm an Arsenal supporter, and there were some other fellows there that were Ipswich supporters, and uh, that unfortunately took up the bulk of the evening. But uh, we never really did settle on which team was the best, and you know what? You never really do. Okay.
0: Do you at least eat turkey or something traditional together?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: you eat, yeah, you eat food. Yeah, you drink beer. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all part and parcel the whole evening. Okay. Okay. Would you believe it actually started snowing here? Roswell? Yeah. Not lying. It continued really hard on Friday and Saturday. We got probably at least six inches this weekend. It's still melting off. And before we actually get rolling uh, with questions and stuff, I do want to remind listeners that you can join in the fun and send an email to me if you have a question for Rob Simone or want to participate in the program. My email address that I refresh constantly during the program is TalkToMe, T-A-L-K-T-O-M-E, at LiveFromRoswell.com. And I love it when you put your first name and the city you're writing from. And if you've got a question based on Rob's work or what we're talking about tonight, you can definitely uh, shoot me an email and I'll read it on the air. We also have a toll-free number listed on LiveFromRoswell.com. But before we really get going, Rob, do you mind if I take a minute here to read your bio on the air? No, go ahead. All righty. Deep breath is just a couple paragraphs, folks. But in case you don't know, Rob Simone is an award-winning media personality and accomplished TV and radio producer. In addition, Rob has authored two books. He is a featured writer for a national magazine and was recently included in Fate Magazine's Top 100 Ufologists list, along with Dan Aykroyd and Steven Spielberg. In the late 1990s, Rob earned a legal degree and began working for the civil activist organization CAUS, Citizens Against UFO Secrecy. And CAUS was the first UFO organization to use the legal system by bringing lawsuits against the United States the Department of Defense and the Air Force to expose the government's secrecy and cover up of the extraterrestrial phenomena. So by collecting affidavits, eyewitness testimony and photographs for trial evidence Rob became the world's first paranormal paralegal, and one of the lawsuits was appealed all the way to the Supreme Court and is still used today as a legal precedent. Rob has traveled through 27 countries exploring mysterious and sacred places and the unexplained phenomena that surrounds them. And as many listeners to Paranormal Radio Network already know, Rob also hosts his own top-rated talk show. It's heard on 104.4 FM in London, and it can also be heard right here on the Paranormal Radio Network on Monday evenings from 4 to 6 Pacific Time and 7 to 9 Eastern. Rob's the founder of AIR, the Association of Independent Researchers, and, of course, has been featured in UFO Magazine, Fate Magazine, Japan's Nippon TV, China's CCTV, and most recently on the two-hour History Channel program entitled Decoding the Past. <laughs> Lastly, as I mentioned earlier, oh, Rob, you've got a long bio. <laughs> uh, Rob is also the author of UFOs in the Headlines, Real Reporting on a Real Phenomenon, the History of the ET Presence from a Journalistic Perspective. So I'm going to read one little bit from that book's blurb, and then I'll uh, let you tell us in your own words about sure, it, too. Great. Is uh, last until now, the hard-hitting headlines from the mainstream press from the 1950s onward of the biggest and most compelling UFO ET news stories ever published. This includes new revelations of the 1952 Washington, D.C. events, a dramatic UFO encounter during NATO's Operation Mainbrace, and public statements about UFOs by Arthur C. Clarke and the Duke of Edinburgh. We'll keep that blurb short. It's all online. But um, first, I thing that came to my mind while I was reading that and posting it up today, Rob, is, and I hope the answer to this question isn't by the book, but um, tell me what that means where it says new revelations of the 1952 Washington, D.C. events. What's new? Well, this book is
1: a compilation of newspaper articles, uh, actual photographs of the articles themselves, so people can read the newspapers of that time, and the first 150 pages are all in chronological order. They go from 1950 to 1954. And got they were discovered pages. in a box in England. And they're an incredible time capsule. And 1950 to 1954 really was the golden age of ufology. And when it comes to the sightings in DC, we all know about the famous sighting in fifty two was in July. But there was multiple sightings. And what I discovered in going through these uh, these newspaper uh, articles that were uh, discovered was that they have incredible interviews with the radar operators. Uh, they talk about the specific sightings. They even have little maps and diagrams of where these things were going. And it pointed out some interesting correlations to the development of atomic energy at Fort Belvoir, which is in uh, Alexandria, uh, Virginia. And coincides with the timing of the 1952 events and the location of this fort where our earliest uh, experimentation uh, on atomic energy took place. So I think it is one of those things where we can say Roswell happened. That's where we kept our atomic bomber wing and, and, uh, and in 1952, we were also exploring this technology, and it led to the first atomic submarine. Uh, we can see perhaps an understanding why there was this mass sighting uh, over and over again in 1952 at the nation's capital.
0: That's pretty interesting. Just simply it has to do with uh, atomic energy being developed at the same time UFOs were being sighted everywhere.
1: Well, people always
0: ask me, well, why did it happen there, and why at that time?
1: And it seems a reasonable uh, suggestion uh, to think that it might have to do with developments in this uh, atomic uh, arena. That certainly, uh, when you're when you're talking about unleashing the power of the sun, uh, it might be of interest to any alien a race that is observing us, Uh, and furthermore, uh, this uh, Fort Belvoir, which is located just below D.C., uh, I have old pictures of this thing, and you can actually see the old uh, uh, facilities where they were doing their testing, and it was right out in the open. It wasn't underground like a lot of them are Um, today.
0: So you've got, to open this book, you said you've got 150 pages of UFO newspaper articles that span just four years? Yeah, the first 150 pages
1: are on in chronological order. And it goes from 1950 to 1954. And it's incredible stuff. The Duke of Edinburgh, Arthur C. Clarke, uh, uh, let's see, the uh, uh, Buckingham Palace making inquiries, incredible pictures and sightings. You got Paul Trent's photographs in there. And you have incredible revelations by the RAF and the American Air Force admitting that some of these UFOs are not from this world. You have stunning events like UFOs exploding in midair or 15,000 witnesses at a soccer game seeing them. If these stories happened today, they would turn the media upside down.
0: Mm-hmm. If there wasn't, I guess you, you would probably know as well as anyone that it seems for a long time there is a big media lockdown where they didn't publish UFO stories. And only very recently.
1: Yeah, that's the the other part of this book. All the first 150 pages are from English newspapers. Now, some of them were reprints from the Washington Post and others. But predominantly, uh, they were from English newspapers. And England didn't have a Roswell event. They didn't have this chilling event that took this reality and put it in the department. Uh, very, you know, very compartmentalized mentality. Like it happened here, uh, they were sort of more open, and consequently, they reported on all this stuff, whether it was in
0: France or in Europe or anywhere. You mentioned earlier that the whole, uh, the whole arsenal, I guess, of these reports and newspaper clippings, you found they were in a lockbox in England. Who found them? Yeah,
1: L. B. Cooper was was a fellow that worked for a newspaper back in the late. 40s, and he had a passion for UFOs. Quietly, he would save every single newspaper and write down what date it was, and he saved them meticulously, all in chronological order, and they were lost for 50 years. Somebody found this in an attic somewhere, Mm -hmm. and they said, well, what is this? And they discovered that this was an
0: incredible treasure
1: trove uh, of information. So that compiled with other sources, what we get here is an undisturbed look from 50 to 54 of how these things actually looked. You actually see the newspapers themselves with all the artwork and all the imagery.
0: That's pretty. Did you have to go through extensive permission getting or newspapers 50 years old, just kind of public domain?
1: Yeah, some of it was a mixture. Yeah, some of it you asked for permission, some of them is in public domain, yeah.
0: That's and they... Did you mention the name of the person who found them in an the attic? Or are you allowed to say? I don't
1: know. No, I don't have that name in front of me.
0: How did they uh, actually get to you, then? Just through my That's network right of uh,
1: media contacts.
0: OK, so a guy just said, here they are. Do you want to use them? That's well, a little more cool. complicated
1: than that. Actually, this book took about two years to put together.
0: Yeah. How much uh, other research did you have to do? Like you said, it's, it's, how thick is the book? That's the obvious question. It's
1: about 300 pages. Now, some of the articles I brought back myself from different parts of the world. When I went to Turkey, I was there doing an incredible UFO flap that made the front pages of all the national newspapers. It was a a Turkish Air Force pilot had had a rendezvous with a UFO, and I was in Istanbul when the whole thing went down. So I brought those back myself. So it was kind of a mixture. Uh, Other things I brought back from England, uh, other stuff from France from Canada so you get a sampling of uh, even stuff from Asia when I was traveling through uh, Malaysia the Philippines I uh, was, was looking for these things and managed to bring back some samples
0: that's pretty cool so how many years or what years were you doing most of that traveling because I know you've been all over the world for a little
1: yeah, bit I left uh, the country in 2000 and uh, was gone for a good three years traveled okay. through Australia where I spent some time out in the bush with the aboriginals uh, Middle East Nepal, India, and all the while uh, exploring the phenomenon of uh, the metaphysical aspects of belief systems and civilizations both past and present.
0: And along the way, you just happened every now and then there'd be a UFO report or something in the newspaper. You were able to stick in your knapsack and keep traveling with it? Almost. It was almost that easy, <laughs> yeah. That's almost ridiculous. that easy. But in the case
1: of uh, Istanbul I arrived there. Uh, the first day I was there was walking next to the Blue Mosque. And it's one of the largest mosques, you know, in in Europe and that's beautiful landmark. And I was just talking to a fellow, uh, a Turkish fellow and uh, he spoke rather good English. and Just out of the blue I said, "Are there any UFOs in Turkey?" Cuz he seemed to kind of, you know, have a hip sense of where it's at. And he said, "Wait here." And he walked away. And I thought, "Well, he's maybe he's going to get he's going to alert the authorities, I don't know, he's going to bring the police. But he comes <laughs> back with a newspaper in his hand. And the front line said, UFOs over Turkey. And that's when that whole thing unfolded. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it was it was uh, just a synchronistic set of events. The other part of that story is I, I went and, and bought my own newspaper. I sat down, ordered some lentil soup, and I said, oh, i got to get into this. And I asked my waiter, how do I contact the Turkish Air Force? And he looked at me for a minute, and he picked up the check and wrote down a number. And I looked at the numbers, and I said, what's this? He said, well, oh, that's the, the operator for the Army. I said, well, how in the world did you know that? He said, well, I just finished my, my service in, in, the, uh, in the military. And I asked him what he did, and he said he was an operator. So I happened to ask the one guy in Istanbul that had that number in his head.
0: So in America, you do four years in the Army, and you're qualified to be a defense contractor or work in high-tech computers. In Turkey, you do your Army service, and you're qualified to be a waiter, huh? Well, for that guy, out. For that guy. Yeah. For that yeah, guy I, worry, okay. I took him really good. Oh, well, that's, yeah, that's awesome. That's good. Speaking yeah. as someone in the service industry, I appreciate that. that. And I do want to remind folks, Rob has been all over the world collecting metaphysical and UFO reports. You can uh, call us on our toll-free number that's listed on the website, livefromroswell.com. It is 877-786-0562. Or if you're afraid to go on the air just don't feel like it, you can also contact me at talktome, T-A-L-K-T-O-M-E, at livefromroswell.com. And I will read your email to question to Rob here on the uh, on the program for us. Just join in the fun that way. Uh, I'm still kind of uh, curious about... The lockbox in England say someone or the the box that had all those newspaper reports. You were just blessed or lucky enough, or whatever, to know people that knew you were really into researching this and probably. How long have you been doing your radio program, for that matter, in London?
1: I've uh, been in the air since two thousand two, two 2003, Yeah, two thousand three. So it's been about four or five years. Okay, so that's yeah,
0: really develops you a good slew of media contact. When you said that you didn't actually get to meet the guy or you didn't have his name there, was he someone you got to meet or just someone that it was okay? I uh, well have talked to him. It was, it was a while ago. Okay. So you put a ton other than what was handed to you in a very uh, fortunate way. Gosh, anybody that's into writing and publishing would love to have been handed that. Like, what if Richard Dolan got to it before you did, huh?
1: He said uh, He said he wished he had my book when he was writing his. Oh, uh, that's good praise. You
0: should have you used that quote? Uh, I just did, yeah. So I know. on the yeah. I'll put that up on your website or on the book or something. That, that's a really good quote. Yeah. yeah. So what other type of research actually went into producing? It's a 300-page book, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's,
1: it's as I say, it's a compilation. And I, what I wanted to do is just create something that didn't have any speculation, didn't have any editorializing. I did write an introduction uh, in the mm-hmm. beginning, And I just gave a good index of all the highlights of of some of the stories. But every time I pick it up, I discover something new because there's just so much information. But the point was, I wanted to create something that was just pure journalism so that you could put it on your coffee table, you could pick it up anywhere, and you could start to get a sense of what has been reported. And remember, if it was just a media or if it was just something that's easily explained, it wouldn't have made the newspapers. The stuff that's in here is absolutely mind-blowing. Like pilots, RAF pilots, pilots that used to work for the uh, that used to be in the army or, or air force, uh, and then now are in civilian jobs, uh, seeing these incredible sightings. Operation Mainbrace having incredible sightings that involves the military, involves admissions from the military that we simply don't see today. Um, so, I mean. The openness of the English press back then really goes a long way uh, to making this book what it is. And as I say, there's there's incredible revelations in there.
0: And what I find um, most fascinating about it is, like you said, it was the English papers that started this book, four years' worth of those, in in a country and a climate that wasn't as hush-hush as U.S. or anything that was making that so top-secret. So, and that you're able to get such qualified quotes of RAF pilots and stuff that actually you're just not going to get that from U.S. papers after a certain point in time, are you? Like you said, the golden age of UFO sightings and apparent government openness on the English part.
1: And, and there's, uh, there's stories that came in from Europe. Uh, and Europe back in the 50s had, didn't have any of this filtering like we did in America. America was going through a Cold War, and we had a big enemy, so the climate was much different. So yeah, you see a real reporting. In fact, it's probably much more free and unfiltered than it is today.
0: That's, uh, I think that's a good segue. We're going actually we're coming up on our, our first break here. So um, I just want to mention that um, a you can write us to talk to me at livefromroswell.com or use the uh, toll-free number. We've got to take just a few minute break here. On the way out, we're going to play for you a funny parody song uh, by Seth and Willie Fred, my MySpace Artist of the Week, and there's a link to their website on livefromroswell.com. I mentioned to you earlier that Seth and Willie Fred and Elmer were driving through Roswell on their way to Los Angeles, and they will be guests on the Tom Green Show this coming Friday night, November 30th. So they're pretty fun. I encourage you to tune in. Meanwhile, we're going to play their song, Hey There, Elena. It'll sound kind of familiar to you for a minute if you know popular music today, but just think Weird Al and you'll get the idea of what's going on with these guys. After uh, we hear from uh, the song and some messages, we'll be back with Rob Simone asking more questions about his book, UFOs in the Headlines, as well as his travels all over the world. But you can take us out right now, Joe, with Hey There, Elena, and we'll be back in four or five minutes, folks. Welcome back to live from Roswell. I'm your host with the second most. I'm Guy Malone. We are also welcoming as a guest our host with the most. That's Rob Simone. Rob is the author of UFOs in the Headlines: Real Reporting on a Real Phenomenon. That's what we were talking about. And uh, he, you can join in the fun tonight by sending me an email at talk to me at livefromroswell.com or using our toll-free number that's list, listed on livefromroswell.com. And I also want you to know that on live from Roswell's homepage or in the past show archives, if you're not listening to this program on November 25, 2007. I've got a direct link to Rob's book if you want to check that out on Amazon, right next to a really fun picture of our guest, Rob Simone, which shows us uh, that, Rob, you're also an accomplished piano player, huh? Uh,
1: Well, mostly guitar, but yeah, I was playing a little piano that night.
0: (laughs) It was really good. Yeah, that is a picture I took of Rob. Where did you ever find time to pick up those skills? something you've done? I was, a, I was
1: a professional musician for 10 years before I became a traveling ufologist.
0: That's pretty cool. I didn't even know. Um, I know you play very good music. I hey, I didn't even know you played guitar. Yeah. But
1: every uh, saloon and honky tonk from Willing- uh, Willington, Delaware to New York City.
0: <laughs> That's pretty cool. So you were traveling. You've been traveling most of your life, I've got to imagine, huh?
1: Uh, well, I was, I was in Philly for a long time. That's where I uh, made my living, but uh, yeah, mostly there. And then uh, uh, in the late 90s, set out to try to end the government secrecy about the UFO phenomenon by exposing it in the federal courtrooms of America. And I uh, did that for about a year, just volunteered my time. So that was, that was an extraordinary uh, sort of way to get into this field, and uh, it's, it's happened ever since.
0: Yeah, that was part of your bio earlier. That is posted on the website, but also that, um, and there is a link directly to owncom folks, if you want to go in and read it in Rob's own words, other than what I've got on the website, but that you are a paranormal paralegal, so you got an education or a degree or a certification or something to be paralegal. Yeah. How does that yeah.
1: work? Before I knew what I was going to do, I became a paralegal uh, because I thought uh, it was just good business uh, practice and never ended up. Uh, becoming a paralegal uh, in a traditional sense, but after uh, I went through that training, I certainly could have, but I ended up, the first thing that I did was working with the, the UFO lawyer, uh, Peter Gersten at Cause. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know consciously what I was doing, but it ended up that uh, I was destined to be a, uh, a paranormal paralegal, and really uh, have been ever since. I've been using my skills with uh, with other uh, agencies, or not agencies, but other uh, organizations, uh, to try and, and do whatever he can uh, to further this field, furthering this, this uh, opening of this incredible knowledge uh, and the hidden history of the human race.
0: What is, um, Like I know the story of cause, but it's a little bit before my time, actually. And just in case um, any of our viewers, or listeners, sorry, we get around 30 or 40,000 on this time slot on Sunday nights. Yeah. And a lot of them are just surfing the web and they have no idea what they've gotten themselves into. Sure. What was the whole? Give us a little story of your life. What was the Citizens Against UFO Secrecy?
1: Well, that was uh, an organization that uh, brought lawsuits against the government uh, to open up the, uh, the files, uh, to use the freedom of information uh, requests, and, and, and other challenges, too. Uh, It was established uh, probably about 10 years before I got involved. But um, I I was winding up my musical career. I had done everything I wanted to do, and I wanted to volunteer my services. So I uh, got a hold of Richard Hoagland, who uh, said, sure, we're we're happy to have you. But then he got caught up in that Miami Circle business and had a heart attack, and he was out of commission. And really the second choice was Peter Gerson, but it actually made more sense. Uh, So I moved out to Sedona of all places, where he was uh, headquartered, and it was me and him and Ted Lohman and uh, uh, Bob Dean, and we would travel around, and we would uh, put these lawsuits together. We collected affidavits. Uh, uh, Peter Gersten uh, was uh, featured on Art Bell just about every month, and we got an affidavit from him and Ramona, his his late wife, uh, about the flying triangle that they saw, Uh, because one of our major challenges was against the Department of Defense. We wanted to submit a, a formal query and we wanted them to release any information on flying triangles because we had affidavits from hundreds of people and video evidence that these things have been seen in our airspace. So if the DOD didn't have any information, they're either lying or completely useless. Either way, it didn't bode well for the American people. Uh, that actually ended up in a lawsuit that uh, had a brief Uh, uh, life in federal court in Phoenix, Uh, and it was something where we did expose uh, some of the DOD's reluctance to give out all the information that they had. But it's interesting to note that Dennis Kucinich, who is now running Ah. the president of these United States, had a UFO sighting, admitted to it, it's been talked about, and he saw the same silent black triangle so many other people have seen.
0: And was that mentioned then when you were working on the case? No, Kucinich
1: had his sighting, I think, um, before we knew about him. Or or after, probably, yeah. This was back in 1998
0: uh, when we were doing this out in Sedona. We had a, we talked with Grant Grant Cameron about three, four weeks ago on all that's going on in UFOs and politics. Have you heard anything um, related to Peter Gershwin or any, like, revival of UFO secrecy or citizens against it? No, 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 nothing planned as of yet. Okay. Would you? If someone contacted you, Rob, here's what we're doing. Do you want to get back on board with that? Oh, yeah. I I seem
1: to be the only one uh, that's still active. I'm putting together a constitutional challenge that uh, is, I think, very interesting uh, about... uh, this uh, UFO secrecy. Uh, Article four, Section Four, of the Constitution says that the federal government has to protect the states against invasion. And we can show in a court of law, and I mean I can I can prove this with the same kind of testimony, with the same kind of evidence that convicts somebody of murder. I can use videotape, affidavits, sworn statements, and the same kind of testimony that's admissible in court that our airspace has been invaded that these things are taking people from their homes, which is the equivalent of home invasion and kidnapping. Right. So we could theoretically invoke Article 4, Section 4, and ask uh, the governor of, say, of, uh, of Arizona to ask the federal government for protection against this invasion. Now, we'd, we'd hate to classify it as uh, hostile, although maybe sometimes it is but it seems like a reasonable challenge, and um, we can clearly show that these things are, have been in our skies ever since people were able to look up.
0: Well said. So are you actually actively planning to do something like this?
1: Yeah, I've talked with several other uh, attorneys and people who uh, have some uh, thoughts on this, some legal counsel, and uh, it's, it's in the works. It, it takes a bit of doing. As you know, we, sure. I don't have a law firm at my disposal, so <laughs> I do it uh, with, at best with the resources that I have available.
0: Uh, well, through the, the program, um, uh, Patrice Sheridan, I know as a regular listener, um, she might just happen to send you an email. Okay. And I'm, I know that's listed on your website. Uh, she's a legal. Oh, right. Might be, yeah, might and i about this, Is also... Uh, quite uh, big in,
1: in our circles, and uh, yeah, if people want to get a hold. Just contact me through uh, robsimone.com, and uh, I'd be happy to hear any uh, any ideas. By the way, they can also uh, look at a preview of the book we were talking about. There's a 15 page preview if you go to uh, robsimone.com.
0: That's pretty cool. Uh, a preview of what you think you would be worth filing? Oh, I'm
1: sorry, no, a preview of UFOs in the headlines.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, that's worth. Yeah, back to the talk about the book. I just wanted to. If you've got a good shot, um, I'm kind of. If I want to assume that I'm a skeptic on this, and sure. I don't believe. Well, let's say, okay, yeah, I believe that UFOs are being seen in the sky. But what if someone comes to you as a skeptic and says that abduction crap is just nonsense? What, like if, like you said, in a court of law, how are you going to actually prove that people are being taken from their homes and that you've got a constitutional case to, the, to ask the government to protect us against this?
1: Well, we have affidavits of people who say that they've been abducted. We have physical evidence sometimes, perhaps in the form of, uh, of implants. If that evidence ever uh, rises uh, to a more uh, concrete standard, uh, videotape, uh, all of these things uh, are in use in court cases, uh, both civil and criminal, so they can easily be applied to this one.
0: So just the per- a person's written affidavit is enough? They don't have to prove it beyond beyond the fact that they say it happened?
1: Well, it depends on what kind of legal challenge we're talking about. In uh, civil uh, cases, it's a preponderance of the evidence. And uh, in a criminal, right. beyond a shadow of a doubt. But for a constitutional challenge, the requirements are a little different. And, of course, ultimately, it would be up to a federal judge. So... It, it's hard to say exactly what's required, but uh, it, the possibility still remains.
0: So, if you were to file a case, you really have—is is it a total crapshoot on what judge you would get, or do you have a shot at getting a judge that you think might be predisposed?
1: Oh no, we would have no way of of knowing yeah. or even affecting what who you know who would oversee this case.
0: That's pretty exciting. I definitely want to keep. Um, you, whether personally or through the program or something like that, if you get, like, your next big breakthrough or your next big plans, are you looking for people that, uh, to help you or to submit affidavits or anything like that?
1: Well, I think, you know, as far as evidence, I think we have it. I think we're more
0: in the drafting stage
1: because you have to go through certain steps. Ultimately, too, we need a governor to invoke Right, that's what you would said. This, which is, which is another great leap. So we need a a friendly governor, so it has to do with timing, it has to do with political timing, and there's other uh, factors that go into this, but as
0: I say, it
1: is, it's not entirely uh, uh, un- impossible.
0: So by governor, you mentioned the governor of Arizona because he said a thing or two recently, right? That's what I mean. There, there are some people that we've
1: identified that are more likely than others, and he's definitely one of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Is Bill Richardson anywhere on that list? Yeah,
1: I mean, we're, we're open to all suggestions and all possibilities
0: here. Yeah, I just know that you know very well that he wrote that uh, forward for sci- for the, the book published by the Sci-Fi Channel on Roswell mm-hmm. about the, he didn't believe the Roswell incident was satisfactory explained. And I'm just kind of curious, those are the only two, you said it has to be a governor of a state, not just a senator or anything like that, to do a constitutional challenge? Uh, I
1: think a governor is required.
0: Hmm, both, I'm just dying to know, you know, who, who's on your short list besides New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson and the governor of Arizona? Is there anybody you can say? We don't that, really have a short list. Okay. It is not compiled that way.
1: Uh, it's more about uh, understanding what's required and going after people that we think can help us can get to the next level. So we're still a few levels away from uh, okay. hosting a
0: governor. Grabbing a governor, okay. Yeah, we're still and a few that, levels yeah, away from that. Okay, so by the time you actually get through those next levels, there could have been an election, so there's no point in actually picking a, go- a targeting in a governor right now, I'm, I'm guessing.
1: Well, timing is part of it, too. You, you, you know, it's easier to convince somebody on their way out of office than it is when they just got there. Right. So yeah, that's, that definitely plays a part in them as well.
0: I find that fascinating, Rob, that you're even doing that. I didn't know you were still that, uh, that involved in that, or uh, the fact that you've got a constitutional challenge in the works.
1: Yeah, well, Peter, the, the lawyer, he's uh, retired. He's, he's closed cause out. Uh, so I'm the one that's writing books and, and lecturing and, and out there. So, uh, yeah, it has to, uh, I feel it has to be done. And it's not going to get done unless someone does it. So... Uh, having worked in cars uh, and having known some people and having a a legal background. uh, It's just
0: something that comes uh, quite natural to me. That's awesome. Uh, Email me, folks, at talktome at livefromroswell.com if you want to join in the fun or pose a question to Rob or ask him anything about his background as a researcher or anything he's doing on this potentially constitutional challenge of an upcoming court case. And I want to get back to uh, mention a couple things on your book. Uh, before we've got a break in about eight or ten minutes again. But um, the book that Rob has uh, recently released, how, how long ago did that come out, actually?
1: Uh, it has just uh, come out. So it, uh-huh. uh, it's, it, it, there was an advanced copy that we did, but, but basically it, it is, uh, it's coming out right now.
0: Cool. Yeah, I see the the link to Amazon is live. Finally. Yeah, it was yeah we, we started this extent.
1: up uh, a few months ago, so we are we're, we're in the processes of of getting our distribution
0: uh, finalized.
1: But yeah, it's up now. It's it's uh, it's been selling real well.
0: And you're going to be rich. Awesome. Well, oh, uh, no, be the, I mean, this is
1: one book. I think you need a few more. <laughs>
0: yeah. You, uh, who is it? They always say Stanton Friedman. Who you've got coming up on your program? But Stanton Friedman seems to be about the only person in this field that does enough lecturing and gets paid for it to actually uh, do this completely for a living.
1: Okay, yeah, I believe that, yeah. That sounds about right.
0: Yeah, from lecture fees. But hey, I hope book sales do it for you. And again, the book, UFOs, uh, in the headlines, real reporting on a real phenomenon. Uh, the, there's a quick, easy link into Amazon from the cover of Live from Roswell.com. You can go to RobSimone.com and I'm just betting there's a way to buy it there too, correct? Yeah, just more
1: links to... Uh to uh, more places to, to get a preview.
0: Okay, and for anyone that just joined us, it's uh, about a 300-page book that is nothing but newspaper articles and a little uh, commentary or introduction by Rob himself. But it's newspaper articles that have appeared for the last 50 years, uh, detailing UFOs reported by real newspapers from around the world on uh, UFOs, sightings, and stories that have made the paper. You sort of kind of halfway answered a question um, I, was gonna, I was thinking something along the lines of what's the main reason that anyone who's even halfway interested in ufology should pick up this book of yours.
1: Well, I like it for several reasons. It's, uh, it's safe. In other words, it's pure journalism. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a certain uh, kind of a common ground that we all read the newspapers. We all trust newspapers to give us our information. So I thought, well, let's just take a look at what the newspapers have been reporting on this particular phenomenon. And I was stunned to find out how much and how in-depth it is. The other thing, too, is you can give it, if if you're into the field, you can give it to people who are not, and it's not really somebody trying to convince, it's not a story, it's just factual-based reporting. So there's a certain cleanliness to it, if you will. Uh, that appeals to me. So I think it's something that will have uh, a general appeal for anybody, old and young. And, I've, you know, I've given it to people who are 70 and, and people who are 20, and everyone seems to dig it.
0: Well, you hit on what I was thinking. It, it's just got to be a great book to show UFO skeptics how yeah. real the whole UFO phenomena is with all the major news coverage of UFOs going on globally that you managed to dig up and put into one book. Do you know, offhand, are people... I mean, heck, this is, you know, the gift-giving season and all that stuff. Yeah. Are you you, uh, hearing from anybody just comments like, hey, I bought this for my skeptic dad or anything like that?
1: I actually heard a lot of stories about people being surprised that all the stuff is reported, what kind of serious reporting this is, just actual events, uh, the in-depth stuff about how far back this, uh, this phenomenon goes, and the fact that it is treated just as a a part of the news and you can't read all these newspapers without thinking something extraordinary is happening mm-hmm. uh... so yeah absolutely people tell me all the time that they're giving it to their uh... to their spouses or uh... their parents and this is the one thing that really turns them around uh... because it's so friendly and it's uh, it's so uh, uh... you know easy to just pick up that uh... it, it pulls you in and it, uh, it it really is a, a stunning revelation.
0: That's awesome, I, and you you use the word already. I was thinking it's got to be a great coffee table book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is. It's eight and a half by eleven, so it's really big. It's got big font, so I'm it's uh, very uh, yeah, very easy to to, to put through.
0: And, and it's it's hardback, isn't it? I'm guessing. No, it's paperback. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I should have read the I should have read closer on Amazon. But it's so thick that you know it's. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a
1: very, it's, got a, it's got a bit of bulk to it. So it's, uh, it's, in fact, I was reading it one day, and somebody asked me, why are you reading the telephone book? Why are you reading the yellow pages, someone asked me.
0: Uh, that's crazy. How much, because um, you already said that the, the first 150 pages or so cover four years in the early 50s in yeah. England. Um, of the remaining half of the book, uh, how much of this, you know, just because we are a U.S.-centric audience, those of us who live here anyway are. How much of it is United States media?
1: Uh, I'd say at least half, because a lot of the stories have to do with America and uh, the Air Force, and I've got some from Canada and France and South America. i just got a little sampling of different countries, uh, different uh, countries like uh, just maybe a couple from uh, Asia or a few from Turkey, just to give people an idea of how it looks in other countries. But most of it's uh, America and uh, and England.
0: Mm -hmm, uh, Honestly, I mean, it's again, we're just egocentric somehow. Mm -hmm. But I I would imagine a lot of people in the United States would assign less credibility to something that came out of China or Uzbekistan or something like that. But when they actually see it, Washington Post. Yeah, New York Times. I mean, big... These papers are, uh,
1: you know, they've been around for quite a while. Uh, esteemed um, uh, reporters, too. Arthur C. Clarke uh, is talking about UFOs in one of these articles. Duke of Edinburgh, you know, it's, uh, it's. It, this is not just fun stuff. This is incredibly hard-hitting journalism. And, yes, there are some fun articles in
0: there as well. Uh, so you do get a sense of, of, uh, of both ends of the spectrum. I was curious about that, just from all the research you had to do. Did you find that a lot of the stories you were researching to have more of a debunking nature or a smart-aleck attitude to the reporting, or did you just say some of these are absolutely useless for your purposes and putting it all together?
1: No. Well, no. Sir. Each one of them really had a ring to it. Some of them, little blurbs, uh, sure, they're just little hit-and-run pieces, but some of these are incredibly in-depth, and we've never seen the likes of it today. So, no, most of them are uh, just reporting, and they go into it. And you wouldn't believe there's one kid that took a photograph of a UFO that looks just like an Adamski UFO. Oh, wow. And he's 11 years old or something. His, his name is Stephen Darbenshire, and he took these, and they're actually printed in really good quality. You can see these incredible pictures of this Adamski-type UFO he took out, you know, out in the fields in England. And it made the newspapers, and they're talking about it. He attended a UFO conference where he passed these pictures around. Uh, I think it was in 1952. This happened, and it was about 300 people at this conference, including ex-members of the Air Command, the Royal Air Force. Oh, Army. wow! So it's incredible to think that what happened back then was was attended by such you know people of of uh, dignified uh, position. And then after that, the same boy was brought to Buckingham Palace uh, because the Duke of Edinburgh was curious about all this uh, UFO business. So, yeah, it's just incredible, incredible way they treated this reality. It's got nothing like we see it today. It was, uh, it was dealt with openly and upfront. front, and uh, the, the, as I said, the revelations were incredible. The, the R-Force and the RAF talked much more openly back then than they did today.
0: Uh, since the book was so recently compiled, I'm curious, before we cut out to a break again, is, were you able to get the most recent Chicago Tribune stuff on the O'Hare site?
1: You know what? Since I've been doing it, I've realized that there's going to have to be a volume two. And all that stuff. <laughs> I, I do have recent things from 2000. Wow, cool. so. But yeah, we're going to probably do another edition. But this one, you know, lays the foundation. And the next one will be more
0: current, I think. But that'll, that'll be a, a, year, a year or two off. At least. Okay. Um, we'll come back and move on to some other topics of interest, both in your uh, meta- metaphysical experiences, views, and especially your travels after we take this break. Um, Live from Roswell, once again, we're going to hear a little bit of craziness from Seth and Willie Fred, who I got to meet in person and played at our local coffee shop here on Thanksgiving weekend in Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, This being the holiday weekend, I think the next song we have queued up is Family Reunion, and it's definitely from a Hick point of view. So you guys enjoy this, and uh, come back with us in about five minutes with Rob Simone. Uh, it's
1: going
0: live, isn't it, Rob? Sorry? No, I, yeah. Hey, welcome back to Live from Roswell. I'm your host, Guy Malone. We're uh, welcoming back author and UFO researcher Rob Simone. He's the author of UFOs in the Headlines. And remember, folks, you can join in the fun tonight by sending an email to talk to me at livefromroswell.com. roswell.com. love it when you state your name and the city you're contacting us from. And if you want to call in live, if you're listening on November 25th, uh, 2007, I believe, yes. We have a toll-free number. It's 877-786-0562, and that telephone number is listed at the top of Live from Roswell. Rob, I've got a question from a listener for you. I got over the break here. Uh, Tom Worf asks us, Guy, does Rob have any major events in the air or on the ground during the Vietnam War or the Russian-Afghanistan conflict? Well,
1: let's see. Vietnam, no, because it doesn't specifically go into that, although I know of events that happened during those eras, but I'm not aware of any that made the newspapers. As far as Afghanistan is concerned, we don't have anything from that particular country, because newspapers in Afghanistan really aren't open. Taliban is not known for their freedom of of press, if you will. But I do have reports from China and Nepal, and they talk about UFO crashes along the border, uh, underground military installations, and
0: uh, extraordinary events uh, that happen in that part of the world. And that's all this, uh You've got Chinese and Nepal, at least in the book? Well, uh, I will have that in the second edition. Hmm. Yeah, because we're, we're
1: compiling more and more as we go. Uh, we, we, I, get, I get people send me uh, articles now because uh, they want to contribute yeah. to the next book, so that's part of what we've been getting after, uh, after of course, this one was already published. Have
0: you ever been to the uh, Ozark UFO Conference, by the way? Sure, yeah. Okay. Well, I can't remember the fellow's name that does that newspaper clipping service. Uh, Yeah, I know him, yep. Yeah, did you ever get with him in compiling this book here? Yeah, he does mostly uh, his work
1: through uh, online sources. But, yeah, I'm aware of him, and uh, he is someone that I'm sure will will be a part of this in in some way, shape, or form.
0: Okay, so there is going to be a volume two, probably, if UFOs in the headlines, huh? already being compiled. <laughs> well, well it's, it's just it's opened
1: there. up the box, you know, because when I'm, when I'm speaking and, you know, uh, I have my booth there, people come up to me, they just turn me on to a world of things. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's, and I think the second one's going to be better, but that, that's years off. But uh, I like the fact that this one gets out newspaper articles that haven't seen the light of day in 50 years. And with it, new revelations about our past. About events that happened after World War II, so I really like that because this is what's hot right now. This is what's uh, making the news. We're talking about the events uh... On Larry King, and they're talking about from Forest. We're talking about this run for the for the uh, president of the United States, and we find out that Hillary Clinton has now uh, been uh, uh, related to the UFO phenomenon, and Dennis Kucinich. Uh, someone who is a, a candidate has come on the record about his UFO sighting and it's stunning to me because I was collecting these affidavits back in the 90's and I read time and time again I've talked to people that I know for 20 years back in Philadelphia who also see these flying triangles who say to me it was silent it was flying low and it just cruised on by it didn't make a sound and Dennis Kucinich In his telling, of his own UFO experience,
0: he described it the very same way. That's true. And Uh, honestly, it was Shirley McLean that told his story. Yeah, she put it in her book because she's godmother to one of his children. Yeah, I'm not so sure that he really intended to come out of the closet, so to speak, on that. It just got forced on him once she read about it in his book, and he's had to deal with it a little bit. He has. Uh, Shirley is someone who I've met and spent some time with her
1: at her house out in New Mexico. She is someone who's always been behind the scenes with UFOs and tied in to the political process and some very big players when it comes to UFOs. I mean, she knew everybody. She was part of the Rat Pack. She knew Ronald Reagan. and She was good friends with Jimmy Carter. And she told us that during his presidency, Jimmy, Jimmy Carter tried to get these sunshine laws opened up tried to get information just for his own knowledge about UFOs because years before he became president he saw a UFO he was right. denied he was denied and shut down at every turn the thinking is that why should we tell this guy anything I mean we, the mentality of this of this black budget you know programs and, the, and these guys who are really holding the keys maybe they're Majestic 12 or who knows what other sort of group of people that are protecting this information, even from, you know, the the normal uh, open channels of government, uh, simply think that the president's only there for four years. They don't need to know. Maybe they're right. I don't know. But Jimmy Carter was frustrated because he thought he'd be president. He could do whatever he wants. But he found out the hard way that presidents are not above whatever power, whatever forces are really running the show and as we know in turkey in other countries it's a military regime and it's not too different in this country it's just it's just better hidden because we see an incredible amount of money that just disappears from the federal budget we see an incredible amount of militarization of our own police and we understand that this complex this pharmaceutical this news tainment, this This petrochemical complex is all tied in to this uh, incredibly well-funded and very elite group of people who have power beyond what we see in Congress and the House of Representatives or our president. The president does a good job. He's a PR guy. But he in no way pulls the strings to what actually gets uh, dealt and decided when it comes to this incredible technology that the government has uh, this UFO phenomenon and much much more so it's a scary it's a scary thing sometimes when you get into ufology because sure. you think oh I'll just I'll just explore UFOs no if you start studying UFOs you start studying this this singular topic what happens is you get exposed to the origins of mankind you get exposed to sacred texts uh, and uh, this, uh, the biblical prophecies, you get exposed to psychology, you get exposed to this world of black-budget, secret, handshake, cabal, Illuminati, you get exposed to the Nazis, you get exposed to ancient Sumeria and these, uh, these incredible civilizations. This one topic pulls the string of every major thread of human discipline that has ever
0: manifested throughout the course of humanity. That is a very true statement, sir. You can't open one conspiracy without realizing they're kind of tied together, and you're, you've got a Pandora's box on your hands. I think a lot of people that begin down this little rabbit trail all of a sudden get scared and back off when they, to quote, realize how deep the rabbit hole goes. Don't they?
1: Well, yeah. I, I was at um, I was at a uh, a musical performance uh, last night at the, at the Saint Regis. Uh, hotel in uh, Laguna Beach. Friend of mine plays there. A uh, very swanky place, and the the main musician uh, is someone who's who's just he's very well known. He's he's, a, he's, he's an incredible performer. Uh, he's you know he's got a lot going on. He's a real pro. He he came up to me after the show. We were sitting around. He said, um, Hey, I'm really into what you're doing there. And uh, he, and he said, can, can I ask you one question? And I said, sure. I said, is it true? Have we really been, you know, have we really been contacted by by UFOs and ETs? Uh, And so I understand where he is at because people want to know the truth. And sometimes they get little glimpses of it on the History Channel or the Discovery Channel or the National Geographic will do something good. And they'll say, okay, all right, they'll come away with it. But that's not really going to help. The the true seeker is someone who explores not only with their head, but with their heart. And they have to call into question their belief system and perhaps their religion. Because after all, how can you decide on a belief system when the first, most fundamental question hasn't been asked or answered by it? And that is, what is our place in the universe? Maybe it doesn't matter to some people. Maybe they can just have an earthbound religion. Maybe they can have a set of beliefs that doesn't require them to really ask, hey, how did we get here? What about the missing link? Were uh, we engineered? What's going on with all this evidence? Is is there any truth in it? Well, that's, that's what you have to examine. If you want to get yourself straight, if you want to get yourself hooked into a belief system that is grounded in reality, it's grounded in our place in the universe, because it could very well be that the gods of old, Zeus or Apollo or whoever, or the Quran or the Upanishads or the Vedas of the Hindus uh, or the Old Testament somehow relates to this constant and ongoing presence of things in our skies that have been written into every record, every text, scratched on cave walls going back 30,000 years. If you turn a blind eye to this one facet of our collective history, I dare say you might
0: be throwing your whole belief system and faith into question. You mentioned uh, History Channel Discovery and stuff like that. Yeah. Just in, uh, in segue mode more than anything, since you were on uh, Decoding the Past, what did you actually get to say on television or uh, related to a history channel special. Oh, yeah. It was uh, it was a two-hour history channel called uh, Decoding the Past. And
1: I was, it's funny, when I look at that thing, it, they filmed uh, right in front of my house uh, here in Los Angeles, and you can actually see uh, the, the water fountain that's in my front yard right over my shoulder. But um, they were talking about... will uh, take note. That's how to find Rob's house.
0: <laughs> yeah, really.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a clip on it, actually at uh, at RobSimone.com, but they they were asking about the sighting that Christopher Columbus reported. Yeah. The, was it the day before the discovery of the New World? And I love this, and I and I and I said that he was traveling with sailors who had been out to sea many times before. They have they know the difference. These are seasoned sailors. These guys had been all over. These are real salty characters, and they had just come uh, a great distance but had been in the profession of sailing the seas long before they ever got in their heads to find a new world. They know what a shooting star is. They've seen all these things before. But the day before discovering America, they see this light in the sky that they can't figure out. They put it in the logbook which also is very significant because the logbook is only there to record significant events. So what was that that strange set of lights in the sky? Could it be that once again we see an unusual phenomenon in the sky that, yes, it's UFO-related, for lack of a better term, that, that coincides with dramatic events? And I think that I think it's clear because when you look at all the renaissance art paintings of ufos hovering over the virgin mary and the baby jesus once again we see the same phenomenon even with the birth of christ uh, the three wise men were guided by a very bright star we see things tied into significant events that directly happen above us and around us and we've seen that time and time again Uh, that alone does not constitute a presence of extrasolar life, but what does in my book, figuratively speaking, is the overwhelming evidence in every way, shape, or form from every corner of the globe, from every person, professional and, and social, ranging all the way up to the President of the United States. You talk about evidence, factual evidence, and reports from police and aviation, Uh, historical and cultural events. It's everywhere you want to be. And uh, so that's one of the things that I mentioned on the History Channel. uh, And I think most of the other stuff we talked about was uh, the supernatural reasons behind the Bermuda Triangle, uh, which also uh, can be UFO-related, but that was more
0: about uh, the whole Bermuda Triangle mystery. And you mentioned, like, the current presidents and and jimmy carter and ronald reagan have both reported things uh you mentioned the name hillary clinton give give a quick uh blurb or or a smattering of what you know is going has gone on in her past or that would be uh i will say germane to the ufo topic
1: yeah well she
0: that's a fascinating topic yeah it is because what we're we're seeing here is um the, the the
1: goose is coming back home to roost as it were uh the rockefellers uh, were have funded UFO investigations uh, uh, on many occasions uh, throughout the 70s and 80s. And the, uh, the Rockefeller uh, uh, the initiative was one of those that was in the process of its inception and execution while Hillary was visiting the Rockefeller compound. And this, this simultaneous event, opens the door for us to ask how did it come to pass that she was there at that time and did she know about it or have any knowledge about it while she was there? It's quite likely that she did. Uh, The other half of it is Bill. Bill made some former inquiries and his own Uh, chief of staff, John Podesta, came forward and called for the release of UFO information. So she is sort of stuck in the middle of this, whether she likes it or not. And it's going to be interesting now that this UFO issue is going to be inserted in the political process, and there's no running away from it in some cases. But I also have to say, on the other side of the coin, that this is the United States of amnesia, <laughs> quote uh, Gore Vidal. And there is so much information that's thrown at of and the news cycle keeps turning. Now, it was extraordinary that during the last presidential race, that George Bush uh, and John Kerry were both members of a secret society, whose members are in key positions of power in, in government and finance. Now, that's extraordinary, right there. You'd think that that would be something that would really set the world on fire, and it did. In a certain extent. A couple books came out, 60 minutes to the thing on it, and a Sunday morning talk show, uh, each candidate was asked that one question, where they gave it a pass. They said, I can't talk about it. And that was it. So this UFO phenomenon, if, even if it does light the world on fire, we may realistically not see much more than that because this news has to be shared with all the news in the world. And most people have carved out a pretty big niche on what they want and what's delivered to them. There's the evening news. There's the traffic. There's the fire. there's There's the war in Iraq. So all those things take precedent. And what we see as a result is it's not intellectual curiosity that gets the time on the newscast. It's what makes a dent. So if we can ask these politicians in a public format Uh, about these issues in a very carefully, uh, well-constructed way, that'll make a dent, and that'll get some play. If we can insert it into the process in a way in which these news agencies are used to picking them up and running with them, then, yeah, we have a chance of, again, making a dent, and that dent creates a ripple, and from that, hopefully, you get larger ripples. So it's an exciting time. Uh, in in where we are right now. These things are just cracking loose. You know, um, a paradigm happens one funeral at a time. Uh, The old guard is dying off, and and that's really what it takes. It really takes some of these uh, old guys to to just get knocked off the ladder uh, or on their way down. uh, The deathbed confession. The old guard has to be worn away because the new thinking can't be repressed. And I saw a glimmer of light when I heard that Al Gore's favorite song was Dream On by Aerosmith. That was, oh, really? the, that was the one time where I thought, oh, my God, you know, some of our guys are getting in there, you know. Um, so we're, we're going to see more and more of that. And uh, it's going it's to unravel, and it's going to be slow to unravel, but it will unravel. And, again, we're, we're going to have to look at ourselves, look at our place in the universe, look at our existing faiths, and remember... To pull back from it even a little bit more, here in the West, we're going to have to do all this. But the rest of the world is already okay with this phenomenon. They've accepted it into their paradigm. Ask any Hindu. They've got a million gods, and some of them come from outer space. That's an exaggeration. But they have no problem with
0: extra solar life. You mentioned earlier uh, about... um uh, among your travels, you've been to Australia. We've got about uh, two, three minutes before a break. Yeah. Um, uh, believe it or not, a big chunk of the listening audience on this program is Australia waking up right about now.
1: I know. I, when I was on this uh, a, a similar program on this network, I actually got a call in from a guy who used to hear my radio show that I used to do in Australia for a year. Oh wow! We lived in the same town together.
0: Oh wow, that's neat. Yeah, it, was, right. it, it is a small world. What was something you were going to mention to me about the Abor- Aborigines that uh, you traveled Yeah, what I was going to say, uh, just in
1: a nutshell, just to, uh, just to put a sort of uh, punctuation on this uh, idea, is that we here in the West have a need to qualify and quantify everything. We, we need to be proven things, and the rest of the world, most of the world, is okay with this phenomenon. They've already accepted it. The Aboriginals, the Hindus, the Muslims, the people who live and work on the land, they know about things in the sky and they're okay with it and they moved on it's us here in the west that are just a little uptight and we got to catch up with the rest of the world
0: do you think we're uptight because um, our media and government have kept us from the information or just because that's our predisposition anyway
1: i think it's a variety of reasons it's our conditioning. We're told to just, you know, throw it in the garbage. We're told to think that's weird and that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's the whole uh, culture uh, that uh, that we've been uh, raised in that is largely responsible
0: for our attitudes. Mm, that's it. I know you've got a couple stories, uh, both about UFOs related to Islam. And uh, the last time you were in Roswell, you lectured on international ufology. Yeah. So uh, we'll probably come back and uh, try to pick up a couple of those topics here after this break. Uh, we have one more song from Seth and Willie Fred, plus Elmer, too. Believe it or not, this being Roswell, guys that are about 20, 21 years old, we got into like an hour talk about UFOs and all the stuff that you've been talking about and politics and what it's going to take for people. But, hey, just coffeehouse and Roswell conversation, is exactly everything you've just said <laughs> but um, we're going to hear one more song from them and remember if uh, Seth and Willie Fred are going to be on the Tom Green show this coming Monday if you're in LA you can go see them or you can just tune it on check your local listings for Monday November 30th and you'll see the guys we met here in Roswell one more song by them uh, what is it, well, I forget the name of it but Joe go ahead and take us out and we'll be back in five minutes with Rob Simone Don't forget the lines, that's it. Hello folks, welcome back once again for the final portion of Live from Roswell with Guy Malone and guest Rob Simone. I also mentioned at this time that that, uh, Live from Roswell is sponsored in part by Alien Resistance HQ, offering biblical perspectives on UFOs and abductions, as well as our DVDs from past conferences held here in sunny Roswell, New Mexico. You can log on to alienresistance.org, roswellufoconference.com, or ancientofdays.net for all the DVDs offered. And we are welcoming back Rob Smone. Before I do, I just want to mention, yes, those people that were... The music you were subjected to, I am such a loser. I actually spent my Thanksgiving night with those guys, or at least listening to them for part of the evening. they just driving through town on their way to do some TV show. Tom Green is coming up Monday, and, yeah, we hung out and listened to them. So uh, they're kind of a sight gag act, by the way. I saw the talk going on in the chat room here, the virtual auditorium. They're definitely a sight gag act. They dress all hillbilly and stuff like that, and then they're pretty smart when you sit down and talk with them, but it's just acting. But thanks again to Seth and Willie, friends, for, for torturing my listening audience today. And uh, when, we let, when we were talking to Rob just a moment ago, Rob is the author of UFOs in the Headlines, Real Reporting on a Real Phenomena. It is linked from, from com, where you can purchase it on Amazon. I'm going to send Rob a check and get mine autographed, by the way. Let me get that info from you later, Rob. Sure. But, um, You can uh, check out the book on Amazon there. It's a 300-page book of nothing but news articles linked from all over the world. We've covered a lot of the content of that book in the first uh, hour of our program. You were just now talking more about um, international ufology and both your experiences in Australia. Also, uh, know just from talking to you, um, you've got like a view of UFOs and the Islam religion, as well, as you mentioned already, some Turkish newspaper reports when you were traveling there.
1: Yeah, yeah. When I was uh, traveling uh, through the Middle East, uh, I was uh, for the better part of a year in uh, uh, Egypt and Jordan and uh, Yemen and uh, Israel and uh, uh, in Turkey, and I got uh, a very good understanding of the uh, culture. Uh, and more and more, I've been studying there and since then the, the religion of Islam and exploring it uh, for its metaphysical components and as they relate uh, to my larger work uh, about uh, the events uh, of this world and how they've been captured and reflected in, in major belief systems. But yeah, I was in Turkey, had incredible stories from people relating to UFOs, local people telling me incredible stories how these things have landed and they've touched them and their uncles have seen them and Uh, Islam itself has a tradition of supernatural beings that sometimes are clearly definable as extraterrestrial from someone who's looking at it from that perspective. Uh, And their references are on par with the cherubim and seraphim uh, that are mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, these particular entities, if you will, Are interesting for their descriptions and their functions. They have uh, certain abilities. They are able to fly through the air. Uh, They are brilliant. Uh, They are above man and they are not human. They are messengers uh, in some cases. And so I'm interested in this because the foundation of this understanding uh, is rooted. Uh, back from uh, the earliest conceptions of our most holy scriptures. And in case of the Old Testament, going back thousands of years, and in case of the Quran, goes back to uh, 500 B.C., uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 500 A.D. Uh, So it's interesting to think that just very thinly veiled references uh, to supernatural beings, and again, we're not clear on their origins. What we, what we see is their, the way they behave and the way they interact with humans. So it opens the door for speculation about the attitudes of these types of beings, whether they're ET or whether they have a divine source, and how they have permeated the Islamic culture. And in fact, today, uh, women who uh, have unexpected pregnancies sometimes uh, blame them.
0: On yeah. you uh, were in Roswell did you hear uh, out um, Farah, all of those talk on that or have you heard her discuss that at length before uh, I, I, I kind of know
1: that she's given personal anecdotes of, of people, of women and it, it's absolutely true I mean, their superstition uh, really encapsulates these phenomena uh, in a way which is not necessarily extraterrestrial related, but when we look at it with our sensibilities we can tie in some pretty dramatic uh, correlations to these beings and uh, these E.T. traditions that we see in other cultures. But moreover, it's rooted in their belief system these Department of Defense, during the early days of the Afghan invasion after 9-11, created these leaflets. The Department of Defense, is um, their, one of their key strategies is psychological warfare. And part of that has to do with dropping these leaflets all over a country that we are invading or uh, we are at war with. Some of them uh, give directions on what radio station to listen to. Because what we do is we set up, uh, sometimes even on on planes, uh, mobile radio stations where people can tune in and get the information that we want them to hear. Sometimes it's just about uh, telling them who the real enemy is. And on some of them, which I have and I use in some of my lectures, it shows... These supernatural beings that look just like the alien from the movie Alien,
0: by the way, which is oh crazy. really? Yep. Believe it or not, i I watched that recently. I'd never seen the original, and I watched it just like uh, from a week ago. Uh huh. Pretty scary.
1: It's fascinating because here to us we say, oh well, this is this looks like an alien, and to the people of Afghanistan who most of them have never seen a television who are very you know, basic, simple people who uh, don't have any of the resources that we do in many of the areas of Afghanistan, instantly recognized this. And it was put in there purposely for psychological reasons by the Department of Defense to associate the Taliban leaders with these evil supernatural uh-huh. beings in order to scare people and get them to disassociate themselves with the Taliban uh, and and to scare them in a way in which it was triggered by their fundamental beliefs rooted in the Holy Quran. I think that's
0: fascinating. Psychological warfare. Yeah. Bringing evil aliens and the Taliban together.
1: Uh, yeah. And uh, as I say, when I lecture, I give examples of these, and I I just think they're absolutely amazing. Uh, in in what it means,
0: uh, we, you know, the crossovers here it's uh, it's extraordinary just so I can uh, do a shameless plug on your lecture, by the way. um, Both Farah, who I mentioned earlier, did a report on gins and genies, aliens, angels uh, from a Turkish ufologist perspective. But Rob Smone was one of our guest lecturers also here in Roswell. First, I'll give a shameless plug um, that you can get these DVDs at roswellufoconference.com, and it's linked uh, from the top of Live from Roswell with a kind of purple-looking DVD. But Rob, your talk when you were here was international ufology—a global perspective to a galactic phenomenon. Yes. Uh, try to encapsulate that a little bit, as, as you can uh, you know, as much as yeah. you can do on radio without the powerpoints. Yeah, really. Well,
1: it was based upon my uh, travels. Uh, uh, and I went all the way around the world, and it is a reflection of the many places where I found. Uh, this, these references to star people, uh, ETs and UFOs, uh, in on every corner of the globe. Uh, for example, I, I spent some time out in the Outback uh, in, uh, in in Central Australia, and the aboriginals have incredible uh, history of their creator gods and the stories of their gods, their creator gods, that have uncanny parallels to what we would call visiting extraterrestrials or star people. They, they come down in egg-shaped crafts. They point to the, to the things that they want. Uh, they have relations with women. We see, a, a, again, an interaction of a Nephilim type of a higher being interacting with local indigenous people, and their stories and legends are maintained. Uh, in an oral and art tradition, I have uh, photographs of artwork that look exactly like the gray that you might see on the cover of the book Communion or in, in Steven Spielberg's uh, Close Encounters. This iconic image of the large eyes and the oval head that ends in, in a pointed chin with no nose and a small mouth uh, is absolutely extraordinary because some of this artwork is you know, thousands of years old. Uh, the Aboriginals of Australia are credited with having the oldest DNA on the planet, which once was thought uh, belonged to uh, uh, Africa. Uh, but we're seeing—I'm I'm seeing different reports that uh, that show them as having unique and very old uh, DNA. So it leads you to wonder about these descriptions. Um, some of them. Uh, even have a, one interesting facet, the, this egg-shaped craft that one of their creator gods uh, was known to, to come down in uh, and made an, an, an interesting sound, uh, the sound of a bull roar, which mm. is a, a device that uh, the Aboriginals used to communicate over long distances. It's a, a, a piece of wood carved on the end of a string, and you whirl it around like a propeller, and it makes a very low grumbling sound. And that was the sound they associated with this craft when it landed. It's interesting to think that since they would have never seen a jet engine, the sound of a bull roar would be about as close as you can get to describing that with the ancient references that were available to them.
0: So the, the talk you did and really the, the entire field of work and research you do even though we had it built as a global phenomenon, you're also doing a definite historical global phenomenon. It's a it's really a visit through all time periods, obviously. Yeah, I can say back, that. Cause I've seen dream too, time, but.
1: even with the current event in uh, Turkey that happened, uh, what was it 2000, 2001, was that? Uh, and beyond, absolutely. Uh, there is uh, a great tradition uh, of this. Uh, of, of this understanding uh, throughout uh, a lot of the developing world. And as I say, they have an understanding of, of a larger experience. Uh, they, most people I talk to are more interested in things they can hold in their hand than things in the sky. But nonetheless, they were open to it. They, didn't, they weren't fighting this uh, sort of internal debate of what they've been led to believe, what they were taught in school, and what they think might be true that contradicts it. See, we're, we're caught in this catch-22 here in America. It's not too dissimilar from when you have an accident. If anybody who's ever fallen off a bike or a motorcycle like I have, knows that when you conk your head, you forget for a while. You have a little concussion. It's it, It's a built-in mechanism that we have that isolates the traumatic event, suppresses it, so that the body might be able to heal, and so that the, the, the person won't go into shock, uh, as, as uh, it's, it's something that every human being uh, has built into their, into their hard-wiring system. Now, when Roswell happened in 1947, it was a, a collective event that affected our collective consciousness. The first reports were oh yeah, you know, this happened and the you know, the army, the air force finds a flying saucer, but then this cold war mentality took over. And it pushed pushed it down to where we couldn't get at it. And that's what's been causing this this common delusional behavior, this this shared schizophrenia that's as a result that's uh, warping our society. It's warping our government. And it's because we haven't dealt with this issue. Just like when something traumatic happens with you, you never deal with it. It ends up coming back at you in different ways. Collectively in the Western world, especially here in America, that's exactly what happened with Roswell. It happened, and we were told, no, 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 it didn't happen. And you know as well as I do, whenever that happens, you end up getting twisted inside, and we've been collectively twisted by the refusal to Meet this reality head-on. We've turned our way because it was easier to do back then. We all went along with it because we trusted our government. But now we have to undo what has been done to us. And it's not going to be easy. You know why? Because when you take on new truths, you have to leave the old ones behind. And most people cling to what they've been told. It's their history. It's their childhood. I don't blame them. clinging to it, because it makes them who they are. It's the brave ones that will abandon the things that no longer serve them, so that they might move forward independently and collectively to a new reality, and they will be rewarded. It's it's the others who are reluctant uh, that still uh, make up, I think, uh, a large number of people uh, in this country.
0: True, we're down to uh, three minutes. I'm going to do a quick plug both for you and uh, myself. What's coming up next week is we've been talking with UFO researcher Rob Simone, author of UFOs in the Headlines. And I'm going to give a last call. If you want to email me something quick, comment or question, talk to me at livefromroswell.com with a comment or question for Rob. And uh, here on next week on Live from Roswell, uh, I have interviews lined up with two local Roswell UFO researchers, guys that live here. We've got both Don Burleson, PhD, who is New Mexico State Section Director for the Mutual UFO Network, as well as Roswell Internet expert Dennis Ballfazer. Will both be here when we hopefully broadcast live from the Alien Resistance HQ's new location on downtown Main Street? And you can bet I'm going to be passing on to them Phyllis Gaudy's question from two weeks ago, asking them both what's their opinion on the recent Walter Howe deathbed confessions of alien bodies at Roswell in '47. And I think, honestly, that their, uh, their insider views are going to be a little different from what else you may have heard or read about, and therefore, of course, a little more controversial. But while we're plugging here, and just in the last minute, Rob, I want you to take us out, and Joe will uh, brace us with music of his choice so you don't have to listen to more of Seth and Willie Fred. If you like it. But, Rob, you've got a program that also comes on tomorrow night, Monday. It comes on every Monday that you can hear over the Paranormal Radio Network, yeah. On 4 to 6 Pacific, and that'd be, I guess, 7 to 9 Eastern. Mm-hmm. So, tomorrow night, tell us what you've got going on.
1: Yeah, tomorrow i got a special interview with the godfather of ufology, Stanton Freeman, talking about his new book. And we go into it uh, about the Barney and Benny Hill case and the star map that was uh, that came out of, of some of these uh, uh, regression therapies. Uh, uh, Stan and I really mix it up, and you, you're right. It happens every um, every Monday. I've been doing a show on Resonance FM in London, and they they take the feed from that and they replay it on the paranormal uh, radio network. Uh, people can listen for free online. Uh, it's all available. All the times, all that stuff is available at uh, RobSimone.com. Spell your last name. Sure, it's R-O-B, S-I-M. O-N-E, com It's all up there. And, of course, on the paranormal Wetwork, you can listen to it, I think, at uh, 4 o'clock Mondays, uh, Pacific Time. Right
0: on. Well, thanks very much for joining us tonight here, Rob. My pleasure. Uh, yeah, it's definitely been good talking to you. I love hanging out with you in person, and it's been great having you on the air. So, Joe, we've got Sedona Lights coming up next, right after these commercials and some music of Joe's voice. <laughs> so you guys, I want to say thank you to everyone else for joining us as well. We appreciate you. God bless. Have a great night and we'll talk to you next week live from Roswell. Bye-bye.